I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. This week, we look at the World Cup and the political tensions surrounding it. Something like half the world's population is expected to watch the football in Brazil, or at least some of it. But the run-up to the tournament has been troubled by demonstrations in Brazil and all too familiar allegations of corruption at the top of FIFA, which organises the tournament. Joining me to discuss the state of the World Cup are, on the line from Sao Paulo, our Bureau Chief there, Joe Leahy, and here in the studio, Roger Blitz and John Paul Rathbone, our Latin America editor. Joe, first, I mean, we've heard all these reports for months now about Brazil not being prepared, about demonstrations on the streets... We're now a day away from the opening ceremony. How, how do things feel now? It's actually strangely quiet here in Sao Paulo, Gideon, uh, at the moment. We, uh, we had a metro strike earlier this week uh, in which we saw riot police uh, used against the metro workers to break the strike. And they're meeting today to decide whether they'll continue or whether they'll, uh, they'll start the strike again. And, and they threatened to actually uh, start it again tomorrow, which, of course, wouldn't be very good timing. Other than that, it's actually strangely quiet. And generally, though, is Brazil prepared? I mean, are the stadiums finished? Uh, Is the transport infrastructure in place? Well, the stadiums are are all there. Six or seven aren't really finished per se, but they're ready to be used. Uh, There was a a report yesterday that in quite a few of them, the actual turf is is not ready. Uh, Apparently, the stadiums hadn't been turning on the lights at night so that the grass and the turf could photosynthesize uh, correctly. So we could see some deterioration as, as, as the tournament goes on. So in that aspect, you know, the, the stadiums are there. A lot of the public transport that was promised hasn't been delivered. So we're seeing uh, in Sao Paulo in particular a lot of um, congestion and, and traffic jams in the lead-up to the event tomorrow. But on the whole, it seems as though everything's in place. So I think we will have a World Cup. Well, that's good news. And Roger, I mean, it strikes me that one does kind of hear all these scare stories more or less before any big sporting event. I mean, I remember London 2012 had a near breakdown in the run-up, you know, would everything be fixed? And South Africa, similarly, the last World Cup. And they do tend to kind of happen in the end, don't they? Yes, although uh, Sepp Blatter, the FIFA president, uh, is on record as saying this is the worst prepared World Cup um, and FIFA have gone into Brazil uh, very much with fingers crossed, just hoping against hope, really, that they do actually get to the end of the tournament in one piece. Uh, it's too big a country for FIFA to have a, a grip on the uh, infrastructure and logistical issues, and they just do have to rely on uh, the organising committee on the ground. And I just think they they lost confidence a long time ago. They've uh, tried to uh, 
knock heads together and get it there. And they have been talking a little bit more optimistically in the run-up to the tournament about how things were improving. But frankly, what they were talking about was that the stadia were going to be ready. I mean, that is... That's just a, a yeah. That 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 was something kind of that pretty minimal requirement, really. Pretty mi- exactly, and and therefore all the other stuff, all the ancillary stuff, is 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 uh, up for grabs. It's, it's open to whether that's going to be good enough. John Paul, I mean, Roger mentions FIFA, and I gather one of the slogan of the demonstrators has been that well, if we're going to have FIFA standard stadiums, why can't we have FIFA standard hospitals or schools? And the Brazilian apparent backlash against the World Cup and all the spending associated with it has been one of the surprises of the run-up to the, the football, hasn't it? Well, it was sparked last year when there were these huge riots, one million people taking to the street in protest about shoddy services. And um, Dilma Rousseff was uh, on television earlier this week saying, um, well, we're spending... Um, $14 billion on football stadium, which incidentally is four times the amount spent in South Africa, which was the previous record. But this is uh, dwarfed by our spending on health and education, which is the kind of finessing that goes over the heads, I think, of most Brazilians. Yes, it may be true. But nonetheless, when everything else is so difficult in Brazil, from catching a bus to going to the doctor to filling out a tax return, to be spending money on FIFA standard um, stadium seems often like a waste of money, or at least misallocation. And uh, polls seem to show that Dilma Rousseff's um, approval rating continues to drift gently downwards. So, Joe, I mean, give us a sense. I mean, how broadly do you think that sentiment is in Brazil? Because, of course, FIFA marketed and perhaps believed themselves this notion that this is the nation that loves football more than any other. They'll absolutely embrace the World Cup. Is there a general sense of kind of faintly jaundiced approach to the World Cup in Brazil? Yeah, I, I think um, commentators here, they, they try to separate these two things, Brazilians and the World Cup, and Brazilians and their attitude to hosting the World Cup. And I think um, Brazilians are still, they love the World Cup. You know, they love football. There's no doubt about that. And already people are talking about, you know, meeting tomorrow to where they're going to meet. And, you know, there'll probably be very few people in the offices tomorrow afternoon. Um, the problem that they have is with this whole idea of actually uh, hosting it and the way that this has happened. And as JP pointed out, in 2007, when the the event was awarded to Brazil, the government thought Brazilians would be overjoyed, and they were at the time. But no one counted on this enormous expenditure that would be involved. And, you know, with the economy slowing down now, I think Brazilians are are really starting to, to think about the cost John Paul, I suppose part of the problem is that when Brazil was actually awarded the World Cup and then shortly afterwards the Olympics, it was regarded as one of the great international success stories. The economy was doing very well. Its leader was Lula, who was very popular around the world. And things have changed a bit now. Well, what a moment it was in 2007, a peak of Lulaphoria when uh, Lula won the hosting rights for the World Cup. And then again in 2009 when he won the hosting rights for the Olympics in 2016, Lula sort of cried almost tearfully. This was a sign that Brazil is now a first-class country. But um, it was at sort of at the peak of the commodity price boom now, and this model is sort of running out of steam. So what had seemed like a good idea then, in fact a sort of sure bet, um, now looks less well uh, aligned. And Joe, just the last word on this whole question of the internal situation of Brazil. I mean, the presidential elections coming up this year, 
do you think, you know, most politicians would think holding the World Cup just ahead of presidential elections would be great preparation and a great way of warming the electorate up. Do you think there's a real danger to backfire for President Rousseff? I think there is a real danger. It could backfire on her because Brazilians are watching this carefully to see whether or not it'll come off smoothly. If the organisation of the World Cup does not go well and Brazilians are embarrassed in the eyes of the world, I think this will cost cost Dilma dearly. I think one thing about the World Cup that the government didn't calculate was that it actually plays to the weaknesses of Brazil. It shows up the Brazilian government's difficulties with implementing and executing. And I think this is one thing that Dilma will be aware of. Now, Brazil's got its troubles, and FIFA's been highlighting them as it demands FIFA standard stadiums and complains all the time. But, Roger, of course, FIFA itself is a pretty troubled organisation. They always seem to be surrounded by scandal, but is is this any worse than others? I, I suppose it's an accumulation of not just scandals, but also problems with the organisation. Just as Joe was saying, it will be reflect badly on Dilma. I mean, if, if it's a bad organisation World Cup, it will be very difficult for FIFA to pass the blame on to Brazil. They will also suffer from that. And that's one of the things that is being watched closely by Sepp Blatter's rivals, particularly Michel Platini, the UEFA president, who's thinking of running against him uh, next year. But above all are all these uh, corruption scandals which seem to uh, come around all the time. And I think one of the reasons why they come around is because FIFA is inept in dealing with past corruption issues. They just took uh, about a decade to deal with this great marketing scandal which was around uh, about 15 years ago and they've only just uh, in the last couple of years managed to put that away. And so this slow drip feed of corruptions just never go away because FIFA never feels capable or willing to tackle them. Hence, when we get new ones, they become an accumulation of just one great big picture on corruption. It's quite hard to read whether the current corruption allegations really are a smoking gun as far as the Qatar 2022 bidding process is. But what it's done is feed into the narrative about FIFA being an organisation riddled with corruption. In actual fact, the executive committee who sit under Blatter Uh, when that uh, decision to vote for Qatar was taken. Half of them uh, are no longer there. They've actually been replaced. But their replacements are still uh, unable to move the organisation on. And I think that is principally because of the man at the top. I mean, I guess that although, there, as we all know, there are allegations of corruption every time the World Cup is awarded to a different place, there was a a kind of vision in place behind it that the World Cup was no longer going to be just a tournament played in first world European countries, Germany, etc. But you'd take it to the world and that you'd have it in South Africa, you'd have it in Brazil, you'd have it in Russia, and then eventually Qatar. But is that vision kind of backfiring now because Brazil looks so underprepared, plus there are these allegations of corruption. Oh, spectacularly so, and not just for FIFA, but I think the International Olympic Committee have thought about this idea of spreading it to developing countries and are now thinking, well, actually, we'd rather have a safe and secure uh, Olympics. And uh, I think it's reviewing the whole question about uh, whether the logistics and the infrastructure and the cost, which Brazil, as JP rightly points out, is just ridiculously high, whether all this actually 
is worth it and i think the uh, the, the the benefit um to uh, the organizer in fifa's case it, it, as far as the brazil 2014 tournament has been lost altogether uh, it is as JP and Joe have been saying, it's doubtful whether Brazil will really come through this worthwhile. And it's just making people think, you know, let us have a bidding process almost to so that the, 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 the highest bidder does win. I think it's changing the debate about that. And Joe, I mean, it, it strikes me that even if the Brazilians kind of stumble through the World Cup and it all turns out OK in the long run, they then got to turn around and stage the Olympics. I mean, what a nightmare. Yeah, it, that's turning out to be, I, I think, a, a huge miscalculation on the part of um, Lula and, and the PT Workers' Party you know, to, to try and do two hugely ambitious events, one after the other, which I think has, hasn't been done in history before by any, any country, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And as I said earlier, these are two events that really play to Brazil's weaknesses, so it's looking like a little bit of an error, to put it mildly. OK, well, look, that's enough gloom and doom. I mean, uh, nonetheless, I think we're all looking forward to the football. So uh, I'll end by switching to the key subject, which is the football. So uh, just who who's going to win? Uh, Joe, who do you think? Who's your money on? Well, I, I'm going I'm going for Brazil, Gideon. I think, you know, the home team advantage. I, I read, a, you know, Simon Cooper's piece saying that there's four reasons why Brazil won't win. But but still, Brazil's my team. And uh, Roger? Spain. Uh, I think Spain have still got a beautiful team and remember they reached the final of the Confederations Cup last year and the best thing that happened to them was that they absolutely got trounced by Brazil in that final. So they know what they've done wrong playing in Brazil and they know how to put it right. They've had a year to put it right. And frankly, they are just far and away the, the most talented team out there. JP? Well, if, if uh, Simon Kupner is right that Brazil isn't the country to go for, then that would put the second-place team Argentina in there with a spitting chance, and that'll be a, quite a final Argentina-Brazil age-old rivalry. Yeah, well, you're all wrong. It's going to be England. <laughs> <laughs> OK, and with that, on that final hopeful note, I will uh, end, the world, end the World Cup. Well, the World Cup's beginning. I'll end this edition of World Weekly. Thank you very much to John Paul Rathbone here in the studio, also to Roger Blitz in London, and to Joe Leahy in Brazil. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.